You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome to another episode of Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick, and today I'm speaking with porn star extraordinaire Malcolm Lovejoy. I read something that said, this is the greatest day of sex I've had so far in my life. And it was in 2017. And I read it and I, was, I could barely remember the details of it because I've had so much more sex since then. We talk about a lot in this episode from racism in the sex positive communities and race play to creating femme-centric porn and queer black masculinity in the sex-positive communities, along with how to make the sex-positive communities more intersectional. Please keep in mind that I am continuing to offer my platform to BIPOC voices, so if you are interested, please reach out to me at intellectualerection at gmail.com and we can arrange something. And as always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... Malcolm Lovejoy. Hi, Malcolm. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Why don't you tell the listeners what it is that you do? Well, uh, I wear many hats, but I'm here. The hat that I'm putting on on the top of all my other hats today is my porn star hat. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) One of my newer hats in, in the in the wonderful menagerie of the uh the 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 fashion i actually have a lot of clothes here i've got a wardrobe of many dreams i'm a writer i'm a hip-hop musician and dancer i'm a journalist i'm a i'm an educator Uh, i'm a customer service human being uh, comic book artist and i'm a porn star so but we're going to talk about the porn all the good things. And among those things, you forgot to say uh, a soon-to-be librarian with your over 2,000 books. I really actually am. Like, I definitely, and like not only being a porn star, but I want to be a sexual educator. I am a sexual educator and I want to do more. At all times, I've got access to tons and tons of books. I've got just, I'm surrounded by books. There's just books everywhere. This is a good one. This, I like. I try to have books that people don't find everywhere. Gay and lesbian quotations. Yeah, like just dope stuff. Yeah, you did so mention I, that that the majority of your books are related to sex, sexuality. So I think you've got uh, a pretty good pool of resources there to continue your sex education career. And it's good we could talk about that as well because I've recently been talking to a few black sex educators. And we can always use more discussions around sex education. Uh, Part of this discussion, I actually want to talk to you a little bit about intersectionality in the sex positive communities and how that can look. So we'll slowly get there. I'd love to talk about anything. Please, whatever is the deepest, darkest, scariest question in your soul, I want you to look at it, grab it and throw it at me. (laughs) 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love interviews. I am a journalist, and I love the truth. I want to be an example of the truth. My mom knows. My family knows. I'm, I'm not hiding myself to anybody. Uh, peace to all the porn stars and sex people who aren't allowed to be uh, out. But as somebody who is allowed to be out, quote unquote, I want to make the most of that and just tell all my truth. So amazing. Well, the first question that I always ask people who come on this podcast is the origin question. So this one gets pretty deep, if you will, at least deep in your personal history. What I'm curious to know is the first time that you can remember as a child that you experienced sex or sexuality, maybe in media, in the real world, and what that was like. When you didn't know about it, what it was, that first time that you realized it exists in the world. Tell me about that. Well, there's, there's two stories I could tell. I remember the very first time I accidentally ejaculated and the very first time I masturbated, I was watching Ninja Turtles and I was yes. 11 years old. I was 11 years old, but I don't even want to tell that story. That's, I actually want to tell the very first time that I was consciously aware of sexuality and I wanted to create a romantic moment was when I was five years old and there was a young neighbor in my neighborhood and I was like, we were flirty and cool. And I was just like, would you like a kiss? So I like, I sat her down on the couch that was in this bedroom, my big brother's bedroom. I sat her on this chair. I took a record, put it on the record player, started it. And it was boy, George, karma chameleon culture club. And like, (laughs) I don't know if any of that song touches anybody, but like that song will always be something to me. So I put on Karma Chameleon. Love that song. It's, it's an amazing song. And like I was five years old, like I was really young. I put that song on and I was, I like sauntered over to a young lady and we, I had one of my very first kisses. And I was like, that was my very first romantic moment. I was very aware of what I, what I intended on doing. And I, I asked her if it was okay. She's like, "Yeah." Oh wow, you had you had good consent game at five. I I, I sincerely did. I was like, it was, I, "I yeah, I did." That's so cute. So you must have known at five that this is like what you wanted. You're like, I want to have some sort of, you know, experience that breaches on potentially sexuality. Amazing. I yes, I was very much a precocious young sexual being, and there's many stories. Um, I'm very, very lucky that I didn't experience any abusive situations. Um, I didn't be, get exploited as a sexual being that was conscious of my sexuality at a young age. But I, um, I was very aware and I was always kind of like swinging above my weight class. And I was a young boy, like interested in women my age and older women. And I just didn't know. I was, I was like seven years old trying to be like, hooking up with 21 year olds i'm like she's hot let's kiss and they're like uh uh slow down young man and slow down slow down and i was like what's wrong i love her doesn't she love me if the love is pure let's go and i that's sincerely how i operated it but i didn't i didn't i've never been forceful about it i'm just i've always been reciprocal i'm like if they're into me and i'm into them why can't love happen Right, right, right. You you found your inner porn star when you were very young, it seems. You found your calling. Always, it's, always, it's always been there. So, yeah. 
So the second part of this question is how you got into the sex positive communities, by which I mean, you know, kink, BDSM, sex work, what else, sex education, just anything that encompasses sex positivity. What was that journey? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, I did, I mean, I still do hip hop. I'm a musician um, and I was doing hip hop for 20, 25 years. I got into hip hop. I, I consciously remember I was living at Bayview and Shepherd. I was 13 years old. It was October. And I thought to myself, the best job in the world is rock star because a rock musician tours a different city every night and meets new people that want to have sex with them because of their music. So I thought musician rock star was the best job ever just because it could be constant sex on tour. The second reason that I liked music was spreading messages of peace and hope and love and joy and, and, and being musically talented. But I got into music because I wanted to fuck. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it's like straight up. There's zero shame about it. That's, I thought that I was, I thought that at 13. And then I turned like, in my 30s, I started being really disappointed with a lot of musicians that were exaggerating their sexuality. And I like, heard of a lot of rock stars and hip-hop dudes that would be like, oh, I, I, I fuck all these girls and I get all these girls and I'm a big sex dude. And then you hear their life story and you're like, uh, no, actually, the girls say that you're not very sexual or, or you're married and you have a wife and kids and this whole thing is an image for you. And I'm just like, I actually actively like sex and I, I like it on stage and off stage. So uh, eventually in my early thirties, I started going to some, I started going to some slut walks. I went to a few slut walks and then I went to a few, everything to do with sex and then sex of pollute, like just some sexual sexy conventions and stuff. I'm like, yo, like music isn't sexy enough for me. I need to find sex communities of people that make it their life. So um, after a few slut walks, I went to, um, after a while, it just in my mid thirties, I was just like, I I love sexy people and I study sex culture and I support sex positive stuff and I like I fight for sexual politics. Why am I not a sex worker? And I was like, I'm gonna put my body where my mouth is and my morals. And I was 35 and I decided to start doing sex work, and that's pretty much. I kind of consider it my best decision ever of my life. Really? That's how. I, yes, a hundred percent best. Besides moving to Toronto from Ottawa when I was twenty-one, choosing to be a sex worker is actually the number one best decision I've ever made for myself in my own life. Sure. And why do you say that? Uh, it just unleashed all my dreams. I saw that I could still do music and still be political. I sincerely believe that sexual rights are the civil rights of the 21st century. So I'm like, I can be political, funny, sexy, smart, and find people that love fuck. And I don't have to deny anything else, but I can just add sex to everything. So this is awesome. Why didn't I do this when I was 21? <laughs> but it's okay. There's no rush. So what kind of sex work did you get into at 25, at 35? Sorry. Um, well, uh, I looked around for a year to find, uh, people in Toronto that wanted to shoot porn. It took, it took a year. 
and uh, I at Come As You Are on Queen Street when it used to be open, uh, I used to go to the message board there and constantly look. And one day I went in and the, and the cashier there was like, hey, I found something for you. They actually knew me. She's like, yo, there's somebody in Toronto and she wants, they want to shoot porn and here's their number. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I got it and uh, I, I never looked back. I, I shot my first porn at Club M4 with a particular director and the ball started rolling. So since 35, how long has it been now? I, I don't know your age, but how long have you uh, been yeah, in the I'm industry? For, I'm 42. Yeah. So yeah, seven years. Damn. Porn's been good to you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it really has. Yeah. It really has. So what, uh, what's in your repertoire of porn? What kind of content do you produce and where can people typically find it if they're interested? Uh, I like to produce pleasure-centric porn, um, women-centric, women's satisfaction is a primary uh, priority in my porn because so much porn is centered on the dick. It's just, it's just when he comes, the scene is over, you know, all that. Yeah, it's from a male perspective. From a male perspective, exactly, and just so much so much male gaze satisfying stuff i don't i do that sometimes but i really don't want that to be my focus i'm very romantic i like to be very sensual and romantic i love pussy eating i love kissing i love i love clever dialogue um but i also love impact play i love bdsm i love i love rope i love kink i very much i'm a switch um in my private life, I do, I'm queer in my private life, but my porn life is more hetero just because straight up, um, people aren't, the porn industry and society is not where um, evolved people's mentalities are around black sexuality. And it would be a detriment to my career and my life just to do, just to fight to present my full self in the porn world. I just, I wish it could, I could do it, but it would be very complicated. Um, so do you think so, it, would, it would compromise your, your existing work or your ability to work in the future in the porn industry if you were to expand into queer porn? Yeah, the sad, the sad truth is, no matter how safe you are, if you do, like, there's just some, some it's really fucked up, but I'm just putting it out there straight up. There's some women who won't work with you if they hear that you've done bi porn. Whether you could have worn a condom the whole time, um, you could have, you could maybe not even be like have penetrative sex with a man or or a right. non-binary yeah. person. But they're like, oh, you've done uh, queer porn. I won't work with you. And I mean, there's it's directors. So it's that a bit of homophobia. Yeah. Is what I'm hearing. There's yeah. There's all kinds of weird homophobia and transphobia and. Uh, just sex phobia and illogical barriers and boundaries mm-hmm. in porn that I just don't want. It's too complicated. And I'm just like, fuck, I just, and the other thing is I do love women. So I'm like, there's, I have no problem focusing on creating more women satisfying porn. Uh, I've shot porn with some non-binary people, but also just a lot of pussy eating and a lot of romantic stuff. I'm like, I got no problem focusing on, women 
So. <laughs> well, this brings up an interesting question because I did an interview with a friend of mine, Luther, on black masculinity um, about a year ago. And we did a catch-up episode recently touching on this subject because of the resurgence of Black Lives Matters. And I wanted to see if anything had changed in the interim period when he initially talked about race play in the sex positive communities, being tokenized as a black man and treated as, you know, a, a fetish object. Yeah. So what I'm hearing with the porn industry is that maybe in a roundabout way, you're seeing similar boundaries that are kind of keeping a role for you. I don't know if that's related to uh, race necessarily for you, but you did relate it to, to homophobia previously. So I'm just wondering if there's any overlap there in these experiences, because Luther's complaint about the sex positive communities was that there's a lack of diversity in the way that black men are seen and the types uh, of spaces that they can occupy in the sex positive communities. If they're not alpha bulls, for you know, white couples and white women, then they're they're typically ignored or invisible, and that, that prevents him from exploring his sexuality. It's it's still true to this day. It's it's it's. I'm so glad he articulated it as a fact. That is that is so real. I'm so happy he spoke on it. And uh, not uh, of course, um, one thing that a lot of people need to always keep in mind, everybody, is that like. I mean, no matter what you're analyzing, it's, there's no monolithic experience. So blackness is a magnificent diaspora of, of identities. And some stuff like some black men are cool with being hyper aggressive and they have dominant, powerful, masculine, like uh, prototypical masculine energy, which is, that's great for sure. If that's, if that's the entirety of your being, that's great. But there's tons of black men who are like, I love being submissive. I love being soft. I love receiving. I love, uh, I'm a bottom and stuff. And not often are those black men's voices given space. Um, hip hop. That's one of the reasons I left hip hop because I, I almost every time I can say it, hip hop's last biggest secret is talking about the gay rapper phenomenon and gay lesbian queer rappers it's i mean there's just so much like going back to your friend there's just so little space for black men to express the entirety of their sexual desires dreams and potentials so um he's right and and in sex positive spaces there needs to be more expansion for sure for sure, um, for black bodies and black men to just be, the, I'm like, where, how, how often do people see black doms? How often do people see black subs? I'm like, I don't, I don't see enough black kink. And like, I, somebody told me once that that life was 94% white or 91% white. I love Fet Life, but I also don't use it very often because you don't see a lot of black bodies on there and they don't generate a lot of attention sometimes. So, you know, there's there's a level of progression to sex positive people, but also there's always more to go. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what I've learned from my my interviews with Luther and more recently my interviews with black sex educators like Marla Stewart and Tatiana King is just this notion that 
some work needs to be done towards intersectionality in sex positivity. Mm -hmm. Luther said specifically that there's just not enough representation of black bodies in sex positivity to see that diversity, that spectrum of all the sexualities, all the, the types of kinks, fetishes, and identities. Absolutely. So he said, you know, when you just see two or three or four black men at a sex party, they tend to be categorized as the bulls. They're there to serve a specific function. And you go to conventions, and Marla Stewart talked about at one convention, I think it was Naughty in Nolens, they used to have a, a chocolate room where it was just like black men waiting to, yeah, to, to as solo partners for couples, for example. And that's mm. changed as well. And this is part of Marla Stewart's reasoning for starting her own convention called Sex Down South, which primarily focuses on black folks. And you experience a lot of black and brown bodies at that convention to look at the way that sex positivity, kink, BDSM, and these sorts of things like also polyamory operate in, in those kinds of spaces. It's vital. I'm so happy she's doing it. I, I thank you for teaching me about it. I, I, I need to learn about it and I'm just, visit if I can. I mean, I'm I, won't be going to the States. I won't be going to the States anytime too soon, but... Uh, right, right, yeah. right. So this makes me want to ask, because I had this conversation with Luther, he talked about an experience where he was put in a position of being engaged in non-consensual race play. So he was with a white couple, the man was watching, he was having sex with a woman, and during sex, she began with, you know, whatever, big black cock, this sort of thing that typically he's used to, but then at some point she dropped the N-bomb on him during yeah. sex, and he talked uh. about how disgusting and violated he felt at his most vulnerable moment while he's trying to have sex. Yeah, you're naked. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I just wanted to hear, you know, your thoughts on it, whether or not you've experienced any race play in your exploration of the sex positive communities and how you feel about it in general. Awesome. Um, well, I like to preface that most, as in like 99.9% of sexual trauma, abuse, exploitation, toxic power concepts, and rape and dysfunction stems out of slavery. And, um, and the slave masters on uh, non-consensual abuse of African bodies, black bodies. So like these, these things are actually what are being echoed in all these race play dynamics and these situations where somebody is they're, they're not calling themselves a slave master but it's literally from that era where there was just all power being held on one person and then the other person is just verbally physically emotionally sexually negated from having any power or any and uh, it has happened to me a few times it's some of the most horrific disappointing sad moments that can happen in some of the most happy, wonderful, dreamy times and places of life. So like absolutely my favorite dreams have been happening with women, white women, black women, Asian, indigenous women. So like to have a white woman not get it and, and really fuck it up. Um, I, it's happened a few times. Um, 
I won't talk about the grossest story that had happened because uh, I just. Yeah, I mean, like there's no, there's no pressure to talk about the specifics in the situation. I don't want to provoke trauma or turn this into a, a situation of trauma porn. But, oh yeah, yeah. But I, I, I would like your, you know, just your feelings around the subject, and you don't have to touch on any of the, you know, emotional experience here and now because. You know, I don't think this is what listeners need to to hear anyhow. This is private and yours and potentially something for a professional to deal with, which I'm not. Yeah, well, and, and, and thank you so much for it. I mean, I do like to talk about it because one of the reasons I did get into porn is actually to educate people because I do believe there's nothing more healing and uniting and connecting for all human cultures than sex, than love, than fucking. And we, we could talk about living together and working together and, and going to school together and, and, you know, eating together and dancing together and all this shit. But I'm like, there's nothing that makes somebody less racist than fucking somebody else of a total other ethnicity, culture, and just lifestyle. You're like that you share that depth, you, you, you start seeing those people really as people <laughs> because unless you have some really deep trauma and don't respect your own self. So, I mean, I'm saying all this to say, um, I don't mind like the, the, even the worst experience, I didn't let that person take the power away from me. I shut it down, but I'm saying like, I used to always talk about it in a couple classes. So I just wanted to talk about the second worst experience. I was at a sex party um, at the Darling Mansion and I fooled around with somebody and it was really weird fooling around we didn't have good chemistry um they were like sucking my toes without asking and it was just oh it was just yeah it was like my head was here and her head was where my feet were like literally and sexually metaphorically so things just weren't clicking and then I just kind of gracefully bowed out of the session and then at the very end of it she just came over and was like yeah that was just the beginning I really want to take you and like fuck you like a, I, I want you to fuck me like a real N word uh, should. And I was like, oh, 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 you, you think that I'm cool with that just because I'm a black man. I'm like, this is the first time we've met. You don't know me. I'm like, I understand you maybe listen to hip hop music and think, oh, they all into hip hop. So they all say it. I don't know what you think in your head to make you justify saying that to me. But one, I don't, I don't accept that word from black people. I don't, I don't fuck around at all. Like Malcolm X is my hero. I'm named myself Malcolm Lovejoy after Malcolm X. Listen to all the sound clips of Malcolm X ever speaking. Did anyone ever hear him say the N-word? No, because he was not cool with that word. I, I love the word motherfucker, cunt, bitch, shit. I don't fucking, I'm sorry. I don't like bitch I, that slipped out. I really don't call people, I don't call people the B-word and I don't call people the N-word. And the only time I actually literally say nigger or bitch is to say those are words that I do not call people. I don't ever address people as those words i use those words because i'm aware of their impact and culture but i'm like i don't know of any i'm like i love the word cunt but i don't think cunt has anywhere near the negative history of the word nigger i'm like i study english i think the n-word is the most blood-soaked word in history so i don't want to hear that when i'm fucking 
fucking. <laughs> and yeah, I just had to, I cut that girl off at that moment. I was just like, I'm not cool with this. We're never going to be intimate again. The intimacy we shared was weird in the first place. But like, after you called me that at the end, it's not happening. And she like respectfully texted me three or four times since. And one time she was like, I was really drunk when I said that. And then she was like, it didn't even matter if I was drunk or not. I was really fucked up. And then three months later, she's like, I really feel bad about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. I listened to her, but it's, <laughs> so that's how it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like a, like a really rough experience to just have people. What strikes me, let me put it this way. What strikes me is that there is this ammunition in, in the arsenal of language that disproportionately fucks BIPOC. It's just that somebody who's white can drop, you know, language in a space like that at any point to potentially trigger that intergenerational trauma to, you know, to completely remove you from being able to enjoy that space and to just access or pry at your vulnerabilities, even as strong as you, as you are. And as much as you let it roll off your back, the fact that, that this exists as an opportunity to be taken by someone in such a disproportionate way, I mean, is, is just reflective of, of, of white supremacist patriarchy, but it, it's fucked up that it enters in the sex positive communities where our ethics are supposed to be at the forefront of what, of why we're here, you know? Right. And you're absolutely right. Right. Whenever we enter any sort of space in a sex positive community, the first thing that is talked about, and if it isn't, it should be is consent. And at what point do people feel entitled to breach consent when it comes to a person's identity, even if it's, uh -huh. if it's not a, a strictly sexual touch, right? Like you're, you're still, yeah, it, it just, it's weird. It's weird to me. And you're, you're so right. I, every single word you say is on point. It's, it's weird to me because I, I don't have these experiences, right? I'm, I'm immune because the color of my skin, I'm immune to, from having these experiences. And I, and I see it from an outsider's perspective. So for you, it could be, it's your life. For me, I'm seeing it from, from this perspective, like it's shocking to me, right? And I don't know if that's the same way that you still feel about it. Because to be honest, when, when Luther talked to me, he wasn't shocked at all. He was just like, this has been my life. And he's like, I just, I know these things about people. And I know that these sorts of comments and experiences can still happen to me. And he's mm -hmm. just, just kind of like over that. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. It's, <laughs> there's so many levels and layers to it. Uh, I, don't, I don't expect everybody to disappoint me uh, with as far as them being white people that I am sexually intimate with. Like, I, I, don't, I don't approach it like that. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I keep my heart open and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm respectful of everybody who's def definitely respectful of me. And 
I just operate on on chemistry and wavelengths where it's like there are there are I mean the reality is I've shot more porn with more white people than black people so it's I don't just play like oh I assume that relationships with black women are automatically better there are certain things that of a relationship with a black woman will probably not have to experience in a white supremacist society um but there are certain things that, like it's not like a black woman still can't be a capitalist or it's not like a, a white woman can't be a witch or, right. or, a, or, or a communist or have a philosophy that is not, that is more aligned to like my sex positive and like not traditional, not heteronormative philosophy and psychology. Cause I'm not a traditional hip hopper. I'm not a traditional porn star. I'm not a traditional black man in any sense. I'm queer. I'm artistic, I'm athletic, but like there's so many other different dimensions. So, so my friends are just the people that I click with and that's in porn. Like there's been some white people who would be like, I will never, ever, ever disrespect you. And there's some black people who are like, I can't spend time around them without them calling me the N word. And I'm like, I love them, but I'm like, they just, I'm like, it's just, that's just the reality of it. It's all complex all over this. They won't respect your boundaries. Is what I'm yeah. And like some, I know, and I'm like, I love them, but there's just some black people who, and like, there's some black people who are like, yo, I like, I don't see the N word as bad. And I just, I don't even care. I might, they might use it less around certain black people and then mm-hmm. they'll never use it around like their grandma and stuff like that. But like, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I guess you're not that cool with it. I'm like, actually, like, I really am not like, it's not, it's a very thin line between like a black person calling me an N-word and a white person calling me an N-word. Even, I just had to say it yesterday on Twitter, I was talking to someone, they're like, yo, 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 my, my N-word, my, my, and I'm like, yo, man, I'm like, that's not an endearing statement to me. I know you mean it well and you think that like you're getting closer to me to be like, yo, like my, my, my N-word, I'd rather you say my brother. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's just language and sexuality. Everyone has their own boundaries and stuff. It's just, it's always just navigating that minefield. You never know. So peace to anybody out there who's just still in the war trying to connect. Yeah. I mean, th- these are questions of intersectionality when it comes to class, race, gender, sexuality. There's, there's so many ways that we obtain privilege and we're marginalized. So it does get extremely complex, especially if you're, Black, a porn star, queer, offstage, and, you know, all these other intersections that come along. So, yes, yeah, I yes. appreciate you bringing that up. Well, when it oh, comes wow. to, to, to language use, I wonder how you feel about the idea that the N-word is being or has been reclaimed by the black community in the, in the way that slut has been reclaimed by the sex positive community. Because I know you have your views about it and why you don't like it and what, it, what is your response to the idea of reclamation uh short answer um the n-word is one of the only words in the english language that can probably not be reclaimed i personally believe because too much murder death and destruction and lynching and blood is soaked into that word so it's impossible to actually transform it and and reinvent it for a new generation. Um, like the word queer, yes, 
slut, yes. There's there's lot like dyke, yes, cool, yeah. There's words at one point in time like the word faggot, you know, like a lot of like a lot of gay people are like, yo, like like we can we call each other that where where we refuse to feel disrespect for that word. But I just personally think the N word has way too much violence and blood soaked into it. And I asked Nas this. I had an interview with Nas, and I said. No Nas, ha- yeah, like in my journalist days, um, I talked to quite a few of my heroes. So I was talking to Nas once and I was like, Nas, like this is when he dropped the, his album called N-I-G-G-E-R. And he's like, yo, he's like, I want to have a conversation about this album. So I'm like, Nas, okay, you're saying that you're like, you're cool with Eminem saying it. You're, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to reclaim it. I get your idea. So I asked him, I'm like, if you're trying to reclaim the N-word, can George Bush say it? I'm like, if you if you're reclaiming it, how many people can say it? Because if it's either everybody or nobody, and I'm like, and I was like, Nas, can George Bush say it? He's like, no, man. Like he he'll never be cool enough to say the N word. He won't be hip hop enough. And I was like, okay, so Eminem is a white guy who can say the N word, but George Bush isn't. I'm like, there is no there's no logical like that doesn't correlate so this this word doesn't i can't i'm like we can't reclaim it it's my understanding was that that the reclamation of the n-word is specifically to the black community and not outsiders so people who are not black i don't see why eminem would have a past just because he's in hip-hop i don't think he's ever said it to my knowledge and on like on on record oh yeah yeah a few times yeah um yeah, um, a couple times in his t- in teenage years, he had a um, uh, a honky pride, something pride, foolish pride. He had a young fourteen-year-old song called Foolish Pride. He also did a performance in Europe um, when he's performing on stage with uh, Dr. Dre when they were doing Dang and he Eminem was doing Snoop's parts, and he didn't censor himself at all. So, like, I have heard it. I wasn't mad. Okay. I was like. But yeah, but I'm, I, I hear. Yeah, so so I I thought it was a, a reclamation project for the specific community. So like, slut is a reclamation project for the sex positive community, and it's a self identifier. Like I call myself a slut, but I don't call anybody else a slut who I don't know unless I know that they are also a person who identifies as a slut, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sort of fashion, <clears throat> I didn't imagine it would be a reclamation project for everybody. I don't see necessarily a future where white people can comfortably say it because we still haven't undone all the systemic racism and white supremacy that, you know, maybe after that, (laughs) maybe after that, but even then, you know, that's not exactly the type of reward that one needs, is it? (laughs) But some people really feel like that word is like a real reward. It's like a real... Like uh, like white people or black people, any but a lot of people who use that word are like, "Yo, this I am the pinnacle of cool because I can say it." And I'm like, "Nah, yeah. man, I, that ain't cool to me. That's cool in your brain, and that's cool in some circles. That ain't cool to me, and it never will be." So everyone's in different places for reclaiming, like reclaiming words and identity and culture. And I, there's so much and so far to go. I, I don't fight everybody that wants to use the N-word. I'm just like, y'all, if y'all, there's like a bunch of black people that want to fight for that. And I'm like, I don't think that it's even worth it. But if y'all want to do that, go for it. Call each other N-words, go for it. I'm just not going to do that. Malcolm never did it, ever. Martin never did it, ever. 
and everyone's just my brother, whether you black or not. If you're down for love and peace and humanity, you're my brother. Mm-hmm. You're not my you're not my N word. You're my brother or All sister right. or or my family. Awesome. So then let's circle back to your work. Porn star. We talked about some heavier issues, but I don't know if this is going to land heavy or light depending on how it's been affecting you. But I'm curious how first how COVID has affected your work. Um, well, it's uh, as far as Paul, it's definitely put the porn on pause. Of course, there was just no shooting for four or five months. I did shoot two scenes. I shot my first two scenes about four weeks ago. And then I shot two more scenes uh, two weeks after. So I have begun to shoot again. Um, COVID definitely, it affected um, porn more than it affected escorting, but I don't escort nearly as much as I do porn. Um, I have had one or two escorting dates uh, since um, um, about a month ago, I had an escort date and there was no penetrative sex. It was just, uh, they came over, washed hands, protocol. They had the gloves. Everything was safe. They just just um, alcohol. Um, had a shower immediately when they came in. And then we were just mostly laying on the bed naked and had um, a lot of talking and a tiny bit of kissing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Cute. Tiny bit of kissing. I like that. Yeah. It was so, yeah. Um, and in Polly, in January, I was with 10 partners. And then when the quarantine hit, I was with four partners and a a couple of them I I was not intimate with. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like a big hit for me. (laughs) That's a lot of humans you're handling. Well, this is what I, this is my job. This is my dream. This is the core of my desire to be a romantic to be a hopeless romantic artist love machine so yeah where where do you find the time (laughs) jesus my schedule uh, there was there was there was a few days where i would see two or three partners in a day like there was quite a few days that that happened sometimes yeah nice i had i had a few weeks where i had sex seven days in a row in that week and I, I think my 12 or 13 days in a row of sex is, I think, my longest stretch. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay, I, I need a day to myself. I need to recharge my body. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 I never, I'm super proud of this. And I say this with, uh, there's not a single thing that I actually lied about, but I'm very happy to say that I can also not lie about ever mixing up any single one of my lover's names. Because I live in the moment and I, I, I might have 10 lovers or four lovers or six or seven and I never mix them up. I'm never, cause I'm never <laughs> thinking, thinking about yesterday or tomorrow when I'm with one today. Right. So, so then the, the next thing I was going to ask is how, if at all, has the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement impacted your work? Um, it's just a new iteration of the same old fight for basic justice. Um, I said 
Um, my personal observation, maybe two years ago, I, I was like, Black Lives Matter is such, I said, it's a bit of a basic slogan. I was like, oh, I love the intent. I, I, I love, it, it, I, I hate that it's necessary, but I love that this generation is fighting for justice, just like my generation did in the Rodney King era in the 90s, or just like my parents and my mom, my mom and dad were both very active in the 70s in Jamaica for, for black activism there. And I'm just like, this has just been a thing that black people in Western civilization have constantly needed to do, fight for their rights, fight for freedom and justice and equality. So my first statement was like, ah, oh, Black Lives Matter, it's such a basic slogan. And then I was like, for fucking fuck's sakes, some people still don't get it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's fine. It's great. It's fucking, I can't believe it's so simple and some people still can't wrap their head around it or fucking get on board or see that black lives matter doesn't mean that we hate serbians or we hate australians or we hate europeans it's motherfucker black people are suffering right now so that's what we're focusing on i very much am aware of ethnic cleansing in fucking the middle middle east and and, in fucking various other places those are horrible things too and they should have slogans and movements to fucking bring awareness to those things too don't bring those awarenesses to Black Lives Matter because it's a different solution and a different problem. So, yeah, but we still have that. Yeah, like, it's diluting the uh, the movement. It's trying to to force it into colorblindness, which is the preferred way for many white people to deal with racism by not dealing with it. Exactly, and to neutralize whatever specific things that Black people need to deal with or are experiencing which a lot of white supremacy thrives on ignoring. I'm like, oh, you have a movement? We're going to bring our movement in too. The motherfucker, we have... <laughs> if they didn't even have a movement, that's the, the worst part. It's, it's just the, the all lives matters bullshit is not a movement. It's, it's, it's a reaction against a movement from people who have privilege, who are uncomfortable dealing with a history of systemic racism. And... That's just them wanting to maintain their privilege and their dominance. That's not a movement. That's that's abuse. Exactly. Exactly. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's like, where are you now? Like, if you if if that matters, why aren't you just marching for shit now? Because there's always death, isn't there? But anyways, yeah, they fucking don't even deserve breath in 2020. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's in Black Lives Matter has impacted my porn. Be, um, I, there's a um. BIPOC Collective, I have to shout them out. There's um, a movement in the States and here and around the world, various people who are in, involved in it. Um, there's a meeting of, of uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and we're just demanding that porn decolonize and demanding that porn stop being fucking racist and stop charging rates for interracial porn and all the other bullshit backdoor racist shit that happens in porn it's been happening for decades and people are putting a stop to it people are just saying we're not going to perpetuate this anymore and the good thing about the pandemic is that we can actually have these conversations and make these demands in a way that it's like well there's nothing else going on so why don't we fucking pay attention to the civil rights abuses that happens because it's not like you can just say 
oh, we're too busy to like deal with your petty little request for economic and humanized equality. It's like, motherfucker, there's nothing else happening right now. The whole world is shut down. Let's focus on this shit. So, what is the so collective that, called? Uh, it's called BIPOC Collective. B I P O C Collective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can, you, yeah, you can, you can Google it. And uh, Cinnamon Love out of New York is part of it. Mickey Maud um, from uh, Kink.com in San Francisco is part of it. There's, there's. Uh, well, I'll put it in the in the description of this episode and shout them out in the in the promotional stuff. Yes, please. Yeah, there, there's there. so many, so many good people are in it. Yeah, Wolf Hudson, uh, uh, Shine Louise Houston, so many good black educators. And awesome. Tons of amazing black porn stars in America that I'm like, holy shit! I used to masturbate to you. Now I'm in a collective <laughs> with you, talking about fighting for rights. This is amazing. So that's great. Shout out to Anna, Anna Fox. <laughs> I love Anna Fox. Anna, I love you. That's amazing. All right. Well, then we can end off with that sexy, wild, fun, outrageous story. Whatever you have, if you have a good one, that'll be our, our light note. Oh, man. You know, like, okay, but I'm going to preface this a little bit. I was thinking <laughs> there's a shitty John Travolta movie called to paris with love and at the end of it he goes i've forgotten more about assassinations than you know and like i used to say that about my hip-hop like i've forgotten more about hip-hop than some people have experienced in their life and i'm getting to that point with my porn i've <laughs> I, I i write down a lot of my stories and i was reading this story i i I read something that said, this is the greatest day of sex I've had so far in my life. And it was in 2017 and I read it and I was, I could barely remember the details of it because I've had so much more sex since then. And I was like, whatever was my greatest day of sex in 2017 has been greatly surpassed, <laughs> but I don't even know stories. Um, <laughs> like, my brain is just like, a buzzing blurry cauldron of infinite sex um think of something uh, fun outrageous wild that's happened well <laughs> uh well i mean something cool that just happened i mean it just happened it's not an old story it happened like three days ago uh, i'm gonna shout it out because it's actually i'm very excited about it all right so i went to hanlon's point um, I went there with one of my lovers. I, I love her dearly, and I she's not that comfortable with Polly, but I still love her, and she's really, we're working through it. We've had good days, and we've had bad days, but we're working through it. We're still together, and our sex is fucking phenomenal. It's not the, there's many good things about our relationship. It's not just being held together by sex. Anyways, I go to Hamlet's Point with her, and beside us is two really cool people one an indigenous man who's got a huge cock ring uh, in, in his um in his uh, urethra and then he's got these beautiful tats and then this gorgeous voluptuous oh like dreamy woman oh <laughs> her breasts were the most beautiful things I've laid my eyes on in many a moon. And <laughs> her, her whole body is just hourglass heavenly. 
I'm walking by them. I look her in her eyes. They're blue. I have not seen a woman with blue eyes this piercing and captivating in a long time. And she smiles at me. I'm like, oh, God, that smile had some fire sparks in it. I, I'm hoping this might go somewhere. I go to the water. I come back. She's gone. And then the guy was there. And I'm like, yo, like, he had just a good energy. I was like, hey, man, like, your partner is a very, very beautiful person. Um, are you together? Uh, and I, I actually, I asked in a way, I, I don't ask people like, is it, I don't ask, is this your boyfriend or your girlfriend, like in ownership fashion or like in a, in a structured, like, yeah, yeah, are yeah. you, are you in a one-on-one -on -one thing? I, I kind of, I asked and I kind of asked like, are you two together-ish? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're together-ish. And he kind of like gave me a hint, like, we're not only together with each other. Like I'm open to, there are ways that poly people can talk to each other and respectfully be like, I wanted to be like, yo, dude, you're cool. And your girlfriend's hot. And I recognize that you're here with her and I'm into her. And can I like join you all? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so like I <laughs> so like I hit it off with him and he was really cool too. I, um he hands me a card, he's like, yo, I, I, I'm into rope, I'm into kink, and I was like, yo, awesome. I'm into porn. I just shot a porn scene last week. One of my porn my first post pandemic porn scene was a very basic rope tie scene. And I was like, yo, dude, I'm looking for a porn mentor like to teach me rope. Thank you for meeting. I'm like, yo awesome like like i'm telling you that i'm into your lady friend because i'm an open poly dude but i'm into you too man like yo this is great this win 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 here so he hands me his card and then she comes back and then it's just fireworks <laughs> it's just <laughs> everything is getting off i'm like oh my god every not a single bad moment with this woman she's very clearly into me he is not uncomfortable at all. And I was like, this is going too good. I stop and I say, uh, I got to go back to talk to my lover because I just want to make sure my lover is comfortable with this because this is, this is happening. <laughs> so then I went back to my lover and I was like, yo, um, I know you see me like talking and hooking up, but I'm letting you know I am into this woman. Yes, I'm, oh, I'm like, like, not hiding that at all. Holy am I into her but I'm also into this guy and he's cool and like if you're into it I hope you can come back and like hang out with these people so it kind of happened she did hang out as much as she was comfortable with and I really appreciated it all of this led up to me kissing that guy first in front of a famous Toronto DJ who shall remain nameless, but I'm pretty sure he was semi-homophobic. So him seeing me kiss this indigenous rope teacher was heartwarming to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I had this kiss with this guy and I was like, yo man, you're just too cool. I like you. I'm just I, can we can do you mind if I give you a kiss? And he's like, Yeah, great. So that happened. And then his his lady friend is watching and she's like damn that's hot this is so fucking hot you're all so cool she's like you're so fucking sexy can i take you to the ocean she grabs me and we run to the water and we just have this amazing she's like i i i just i want you i i want 
be with you and I want things to happen. And I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, so it did happen. And in the water, we're there. The sun's coming down. It's like sunset. And and we had our first kiss as we're like floating in the water at the new beach. And just, you know, when you kiss somebody and you tell like, oh, fuck, I've just discovered a Fort Knox gold mine of magical millionaire, billionaire sexual chemistry. From the first kiss, I could just feel like, oh, God. That was it. It was wow. great. And, and yeah, so. Um, <laughs> Happy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that just happened, and uh, uh, it's all real. We had our first date, and it went awesome. Congrats. All right. Before I let you go, this is your chance to shout out all the things where people can find you, all your social media, wherever you want to be found. Okay. <laughs> That's dope. I want to be found. That's dope. Because somebody called me two days ago. I'm like, how did you get my number? And it started rapping to me. I'm like, oh, my so I, I, I want to be found <laughs> I want to be found on Twitter at MindBenderMind or at Malcolm Lovejoy. I want to be found on my website at MalcolmLovejoy.net. Um, Instagram I barely use. They shadow banned all my accounts, but I do have an Instagram at MindBender loves you. I barely use my Instagram. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter and um Life is Love Joy Ride, and besides that, just a mind bender. Oh yeah, I also rap, so you can find me on Bandcamp under Mind Bender Supreme. So awesome, Malcolm! Uh, thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to getting to know you some more outside of this interview. Patrick, I gotta say, man, you did a phenomenal interview. Your space and thought process and everything that you do here is magnificent. Thank you for having me here. Whew, everybody, it. thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you and uh, keep making your dreams come true. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.